Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today we're in Hobart, Tasmania, talking to Daniel C. about multiplying hope groups online. Yeah, well, I was a physiotherapist uh, probably about well, 15, 16 years ago. And we, were, we felt very much cold, my wife and I, she's a nurse, and we felt very much cold to be uh, what we thought would be overseas missionaries. And we ended up leaving Adelaide, where we're from, and went to Cambodia and spent time with a group in Phnom Penh and wanted to, I suppose, um, yeah, share the gospel with unreached people groups. And through that process, it became pretty obvious to us that actually God wasn't calling us to Phnom Penh. Uh, we went to the UK and God wasn't calling us to the UK, but he put on us a real heartbeat for our own country, but to see it as a missional context, not as, I suppose, a Christendom context. And, and so we actually came to Tasmania 15 years ago as overseas missionaries, uh, it's kind of overseas. You know, Hobart is an island off of an island. And yet uh, we, we had a real heart to learn how to reach Aussies in a way that would allow them to be discipled in faith. And we knew that that wouldn't necessarily take the forms that we'd known as church. So that was probably the start of us thinking through what it might look like to uh, at least make disciples. And then obviously that led to the thinking around movements. Okay. And what was the next step in the journey? Gosh, there are a lot of next steps. Uh, the next step, I suppose, we learned to connect with culture and you know, we ended up uh, it was kind of like a fresh expression of church. Church was trying to be relevant at the time and we went to pubs and clubs and we ran a jazz venue and it was really good in the sense of we built enormous, uh, an enormous amount of relationships with unchurched people and we were involved in their lives and we connected lots uh, and we did that for about six, seven years. But no one became a Christian and so that led to the question, well, <laughs> what's missing because we've become relevant uh, and yet people aren't falling in love with Jesus. And uh, so from there, it, you know, it, we started to rediscover what it might look like to um, make Jesus our first love again, to re, you know, allow ourselves to be white hot in our faith, which is, which is from your first book, mm -hmm. uh, because without Jesus it doesn't matter how many friends you have, uh, people won't be transformed without the king of the kingdom. Um, and the second thing we learned was that, you can do mission and it can become an idol if we don't have Jesus and disciple making at the centre. And so we went on a journey to discover how do you make disciples who make disciples so that we teach people and ourselves to hear and obey what Jesus says and to pay it forward. Um, we didn't we didn't not learn something in those first six years and seven years. We, I think God used it to detox us from religion uh, and to understand uh, the genuine needs and concerns and lifestyle of those around us, but but there were some missing elements which have continued to drive us towards seeking to know how do we share the gospel. Okay. And uh, what happened next on the journey to where you are today? This was meant to be the warm-up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened next? Well, we uh, it's an unusual story. So we, we were actually a group of what we call missional communities. 
And so what I mean by that is we saw ourselves as an extended family of people on a mission to reach particular groups of people, and we had a number of different expressions around Hobart. And so I hadn't been in a church service on a regular basis for more than a decade by that stage, you know, hadn't sung songs, certainly hadn't heard sermons. Uh, We had quite creative ways of teaching. We would listen to Tim Keller or, you know, Mike Green, a whole whole host of different people on topics that I pulled out from the internet, and then we would discuss it. So we found lots of ways to maintain the functions of a church without necessarily running a centralised service. Um, but but through a process of hearing and obeying God, um, we discerned as a leadership team that after 10 years of not having been in a church service that God was actually saying that to reach our vision of seeing communities birth around Hobart, we actually needed to have uh, as part of our ecosystem a, a, a public gathering. So we started church service, a bunch of leaders who left church a decade before and weren't expecting it. So that, that's an unusual story and not necessarily what I would expect for movement. But since we've started that church service, we've found that that's enabled us to actually birth more small groups, so discipleship groups, discovery Bible study groups, hope groups, uh, and our missional communities are, are healthier and we have people coming in who wouldn't otherwise come in because the service seems to connect with people and then allow us to give them a vision for what it might look like to be missional and discipleship-oriented. Uh, so maybe an unusual pathway, but that's yeah. my journey. Okay. And then uh, the lockdown came along and yeah. the virus came along. How, how did things change as a result of that? What's been different? Yeah, well, what was interesting is that we, we birthed our church service and relaunched the Together Church in March, March 17th, uh, 2019, and then the very equivalent service in 2020 was our last service, and I stood up and we, we, we cut a cake and we celebrated our first year of church plant launch, and then we said we're going to close the service for an indefinite period of time. Yeah. So that was an interesting journey. Uh, and we were one of the first churches, at least in our area, to close, I think partly because we'd never been very Sunday-centric in the way we saw ourselves. We still see ourselves as a network of missionaries and disciple-makers. It it felt easy to close the service. But, um, yeah, what was interesting is I suppose it it allowed us in some ways to, to shape the path for other churches and to invest outside of ourselves in some of the conversations about what does a church look like without a Sunday service? What does a church look like without a building and without walls uh, if all you're left with are the ecclesia mm. of God? So um, so the, the beginning of lockdown, uh, so really early March, um, it, it was kind of strange because I, I ended up... Um, I ended up spending a lot less time on our church and a lot more time equipping other pastors in different churches in Tassie but also Victoria, particularly those two states, in what might it look like to to go online as a community of faith. Uh, I started off a little Facebook group called The Online Pastor and essentially I used my business skills because I'm bivocational and taught pastors to consider using Zoom for services rather than live stream and consider creating multiple expressions of faith online rather than just making the Sunday service reproduce itself again and again. Uh, And that kind of took off, actually. 
But um, the interesting thing about that period is I had lots and lots of conversations with pastors from different places, and they're all about how do we do church when we can't meet? <laughs> mm. and, and and how do you use Zoom? And how do we pastorally care using WhatsApp? And like they were very technical questions. And I, I became increasingly, uh, increasingly dissatisfied, uncomfortable with those conversations, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I remember it quite distinctly, uh, and I just had this real sense uh, that this was an Esther moment, so Esther 414, where Mordecai says to Esther, what if you know, the world has been shaken for such a time as this? That, that's the new Daniel translation. Um, but basically, what, is, what has allowed the, the pandemic to occur uh, for this moment, and what is this moment about? And I realized that all the conversations I was having up to that point with pastors was about how do we do church? And what I realized is actually this is not a moment about the church. This is a moment about God preparing a harvest. Mm. And all around the world, people are asking questions that they have not asked for a long time, not in my lifetime, or at least not since, you know, the last 10, 20 years. They're asking questions about meaning and purpose and, and why they exist on this earth. And and. There are millions of people asking questions and being prepared for faith if they can receive the gospel and be discipled. And the churches are focusing almost exclusively on how do we use um, breakout rooms. You know, and, and I just felt really uncomfortable with that. Um, and so that led to this next part of the journey where I closed down that online pastor Facebook group and stopped investing in that area of ministry. I, I, it was really valuable at the time, but it was time limited. Uh, and and basically started to ask the missional question, how, how do we raise up harvest workers for this enormous harvest? Mm, wow. And so what happened next? <laughs> oh, it's been a journey from there. Um, I, I took some of the stuff that you taught me uh, and I blatantly ripped it off. Thank you so much. So I looked at the discovery. Well, I stole it all from other people, so... <laughs> You know, excellent. It doesn't really count if you steal it secondhand. So I, I looked at the Discovery Bible study and I looked at our own context and our own experience, uh, and and obviously thinking, you know, this is this is going to be discipleship online. And I was particularly thinking about Zoom and and Skype and and other video conferencing tech. And so we we adapted it and we called it a hope group. And really the name just came out of the, the fact that I, I really feel like people in my relational world were not necessarily wanting to discover the Bible but were needing hope. And I just felt that that was, that was the right name. And so we to, to test, I suppose, what I felt God had put on my heart, you know, is this an Esther moment, <clears throat> we, um, I trained a small handful of people in my own church community and we asked 15 of our unchurched, non-Christian friends if they wanted to be in a group, an online group during this difficult time where we connect as friends and support each other, where we help other people outside of ourselves and where we read and talk about stories of hope from the life of Jesus and that, you know, you don't have to believe in Jesus to uh, get a lot out of his teachings and to learn about the hope that he has. And they all said yes. So we ended up with 10 hope groups in my very small kind of you know, newly church-planted community, and I just thought this is there's something in this. 
So I trained a number of other people that I know just in my kind of networks and it, it kind of grew from there. Um, so you, you asked 15 people and you, did you say they all said yes? Yeah, they all said yes. Yeah, no and And I'm not talking de-church, people who used to go to church and were a bit kind of, you know, dissatisfied, like um, a Muslim man, a number of atheists, academics, people who just aren't interested in faith, but they wanted to be in a group to connect. They they saw value in it. They know they needed hope, and they were open to reading the, the Gospels through that. Uh, how, how did you ask, Daniel? <laughs> well, very similar. I mean, I asked by phone call. Uh, I, I just phoned people and said, hey, look, there's this new idea called a hope group that I've heard about. And, yeah, it's a way of connecting as friends. It's a way of helping people during this pandemic. And it's a way of just experiencing hope by reading stories of hope from the life of Jesus. I mean, are you, are you interested? They, they all said yes. Um, so and- typically what would a, a hope group gathering look like on, online? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we start with a, a kind of sense of community. It might be like what you call care. So we, we ask, what are you thankful for? And everyone shares that and just discusses it. Uh, we then say, what's been a challenge for you this week? And people share honestly from the heart just what's a challenge. We're not solving each other's problems. We're just discussing it. Uh, then we do the discovery Bible study component with maybe some tweaks. So we are we read a scripture, so a, a story of hope from the life of Jesus, uh, parables from the gospel mainly. Uh, we read it, we read it again, and then we retell it in our own words. And then we ask the three questions: What's it say about God or Jesus? Uh, I changed that because I realised we're asking what does it say about God and people like doesn't mention God and like oh, Jesus is God. Let's, let's let them discover it. So what's it say about God or Jesus? Uh, looking sideways, what's it say about people? And then what's it say to me personally? So my heart, not just my head. So I'm looking for a uh, a personal response, a heart response to the scripture. Uh, so that's the middle section, and then we have the last section, which is help. So who do you know that needs help this week and how will you help them? And I want everyone to get very specific, you know, um, thinking of my neighbour Jane and I'm going to write her a card, you know, like mm. um, so that we're paying forward some type of um, act of kindness in response in many ways to reading the Word of God. And then the last bit is prayer and, um, yeah, we pray. Right. So the reason that I think it's quite simple is just I, I get people to remember uh, thanks, challenge, scripture, help, and pray. And it takes about an hour and a quarter online. Okay. And um, you said the groups began to take off. Hmm. How, yeah. how did that happen? Yeah, well, the idea, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Tassie. So for context, we've got 500,000 people across our entire state. So we're a pretty small place. Uh, so, you know, small town imagination, I thought, let's let's start a number of groups up in Tassie. But then groups in Victoria were interested, so I trained a few people in Victoria. Uh, and then, look, through a number of circumstances, we started a you know, new organisation. I got to employ someone, I got some funding, and then it's like, well, let's, let's try to make this thing sing. So we originally had a goal of training 500 people and starting 100 hope groups by the end of the year. Now, we've, we've reached that already, um, but, uh, yeah, so we just started to train people online and 
we now have trained well, about 500. I've trained about 500 people, but we have trained trainers who are training people beyond myself. Uh, we've started, I'm tracking at about 75 groups from people I've trained or we've trained directly, but I know that there are a lot more, again, from trained trainers or people who we haven't heard from. And every group is a group of three or four people, so two disciples and one or two non-Christians uh, exploring the stories of hope together in faith. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and we now have groups. So there's groups all over Australia uh, in every state that I, yep, I not I haven't heard about Northern Territory, but but uh, all the states have hope groups. Uh, we have hope groups uh, going really well in Africa. So I ended up doing a global training session, and then a uh, a guy called uh, Simon Pierre in uh, Braz in French Congo. He mm-hmm. he took the idea. I trained him as a trainer, and he translated in French and trained seven church planters. Uh, I got a I got a message this week actually from a guy called uh, Pastor Bongo uh, from the Congo, from a place called Oasi. <laughs> Pastor Bongo from the Congo. Okay. Pastor Bongo from the Congo, very memorable. And so Pastor Bongo from the Congo, I'm assuming in French, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I got a photo of him training 12 other church planners to pass on hope groups to their congregations. So again, uh, it's the thing about movements, if if you can release it, uh, and follow what the Spirit of God is saying, then there's a, a fruitfulness obviously beyond what we could possibly do. But, um, yeah, there's, there's groups in Mongolia. A lady in Melbourne uh, trained a guy in Mongolia, and uh, he ended up going back to Mongolia but can't get back. So they continued online, and then now he's started a group in his own village. Uh, we, we trained a bunch of uh, mainland Chinese and, and other um, Asian students from Tassie, and they were kind of interested. But then I mentioned that these groups are best run online and that you can even disciple and share the gospel with people who are from your hometown, and their eyes lit up. And they're like, oh, like it was just like a completely different mm. world of opportunity and and uh, and a number of those students who have only been Christians for you know a number of months through some amazing outreach through the university are now um, running groups with their mum or dad back in you know wherever they they came from and and again that that has the potential to multiply. Uh, and what are you hearing back in terms of the impact on people's lives who? who maybe were far from God before they joined the group? Yeah. So, look, it, I mean, it, it's been quite early days really because the group started multiplying around May and so we haven't yet tracked a lot, but I just get drip-fed stories from people when they email me, which is really exciting. Later on I'm going to phone, we're going to phone Hope Group leaders and, and try to track the stories. Uh, I had a really nice story from a lady who uh she, she ended up running a hope group with a, a, a Catholic lady who called herself Catholic but had never opened a Bible herself personally, so certainly not personal relationship with Jesus. And, and she, she really loved the hope group. And then every day, because of the retail, she was learning to practice sharing the gospel, I suppose, or at least sharing gospel stories. Uh, and then she would go back to her son and husband and reshare those stories every hope group. And then they would ask her questions and she would answer them. And then they, she would bring their questions back to the group. 
Uh, eventually her son joined the group from what I heard, but there was also a beautiful story about how I think her father-in-law was was near, um, was very sick in hospital and refusing to consider um, dis- discussions or conversations around his death. And she shared stories of forgiveness from Jesus and, and led him through a process of forgiving people from his past. And, and then the next week he said, let's start looking at funeral parlours. And so I don't know if that was a conversion experience, but it does sound like there was some impact in his life through Jesus um, by hearing a story of forgiveness from Jesus, choosing to forgive people in response and, and then leading to a change in life. So um, I don't have any more detail than that. But there's lots of stories like that of people being blessed and people discovering things about Jesus uh, and, and a few people I've heard have come to faith so far. But we're, we're really hoping for more stories. Yeah. My guess is there are, there's a lot more impact than you directly know of. Mm. just by the examples of people passing it on to others without, you know, that you don't have a direct relationship with. Mm. Absolutely. And the training takes an hour and a half. So I, I meet people for an hour and a half and then sometimes I get an email to tell me what's happening, you know. So it's it's not like I have regular discipling relationships with the people who are doing these groups. Mm. Uh, and, and so <clears throat> I, I'm sure there are stories that I haven't, stumbled across yet so what what have you learned through this whole experience Mm. Um, good question i i one thing was a few few weeks well probably about a week ago i was talking about some of the stories of hope groups just in a training session and, and one of the participants said ah so so hope groups is your thing. Like I think he was surprised that I suppose that I'd come up with it. And and my immediate response was just it, it in retrospect, it was a really cheesy pastor response. Like I'm like, well, it, it was really Jesus' idea. Hmm. It's Jesus' thing. Now that's theologically true, but also it sounds a bit cheesy. But at the same time, I've thought about that since. And I'm like, it's it's really true. Uh my reflection is that God will build his church and the gates of Hades won't overcome it. And, you know, when I think about why we came up with the name Hope Group, like I don't even know how that happened. Uh, when, I, when I think about how this has gone from being an idea in Tassie, with, you know, I don't have any networks or any broader kind of influence in that sense, but just someone from somewhere heard about this Hope Group and then it connected me with, a guy called Warwick who had big networks and he the word hope connected with him. It led me to Go 2020, which led me to the global training, which led to Simon Pierre and others. You know, it's just one example. I, I got a phone call last week, a WhatsApp message from a guy called Tom in Kenya who's got three church plants, but he doesn't know how to disciple people. And he said, I stumbled across you and we need hope in Kenya could you help train us? Now, I mean, I don't understand the African context. And I said to him, you need to take this tool and ask God how to use it in your own context. But uh, again, that's just when God does stuff, he just chooses to do it. So I've I've been really thankful. That's one lesson that that when God. Well, I I think I heard too that one one is that this is, this is uh, the fruit of, of, of what God is doing. The other thing is 
you've been following networks of relationships. So key individuals like the guy in Kenya, Mm. they open up to a whole group of people you'll never have direct contact with. Mm. And I guess the other thing I notice is you've got a simple but profound method of helping people read the Bible together Mm. and and the Word and the Spirit are doing the work. Definitely. you're helping people create an atmosphere where where God shows up through his word and his Holy Spirit in these groups. Absolutely. Yeah, and I really felt uh, like in about April, May, really you know, prayed about what, what, is it, what do we do to help stimulate this idea, this movement? You know, I remember having a chat with you actually, Steve, and you were like, I had ideas which would really limit it, and you were like, no, don't do that. Do it, do it this way so that it can go wider. Uh, but I really sensed that all I was meant to do is to pray uh, you know, pray that God will do his thing to to phone, so basically to reach out to people in my world and then follow the trail and to train. And so really that's all we do. We pray, we train, and we we phone uh, and, and see what God's been doing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing that's, that really uh, I think is a principle that's useful is that uh, I, I suppose there's something about the digital networks that have really helped us at such a time as this. I, I heard a talk by my friend Mark Sayers, who uh, you know, is, is an amazing kind of commentator on, on culture and mission, and he was talking about how the Romans created these amazing road networks uh, and, you know, really the, the Silk Road, and then uh, and, and that enabled the gospel to spread through Paul and Peter and you know, the other apostles that they used the empire's uh, road and transportation networks to actually enable the gospel to spread. And he said, what if there was uh, a new digital Silk Road that we were being called to access in this time? And, and that's certainly been the case for this, for, for this time that uh, almost all this has been done in this little room. Yeah. <laughs> I broke my leg actually and so I was in bed sleeping in here and working in here, and I, I hardly moved from here except for eating for a few months, and well, for at least you know six weeks. Uh, so you know, there's me and a computer screen, and yet um, somehow there is a new digital superhighway that enables the gospel to spread. If we, like you said, have a simple method of of um, making disciples, so uh, an operating system that is reproducible and easy to to run with. Uh, and if we can mobilise people through these networks, you know, in, pl- in, in times like lockdown, it's absolutely amazing to create community and to read scripture through this mechanism and then to integrate those and transfer them into real-life relationships, which is what's happening now. Uh, but the one piece that I, that I think is a bit different is the habit pathway. And so by that I mean... I find that, at least in the Western world, Christians are great at talking, but they're not great at applying what they've been trained or asked to do. I heard Wolfgang Simpson once say, in the East, we train people in rapid, unconditional obedience, and in the West, we have long, slow discussions. (laughs) I think it's really true. So, So my thinking has been, how do we convert those discussions around how to run a hope group and convert it into hope groups? Because there's a gap. Does that make sense? Mm. And, uh, and so I, I've been trained in habit thinking and my business is based on training leaders in habits. And so what we did is we made the training fairly tight and simple so that you walked away from the training being able to say, 
I can run a hope group. It's super simple. So that's my first win. But the second win is, well, how do you translate that to I'm actually going to start a hope group and ask my non-Christian friends if they want to read the Bible with me. And so we thought we, we broke down uh, what I did and what my leaders did and we tried to create a habits-based pathway and we put it online to automate it. So what I mean by that is after training, uh, there are five steps that I think you need to do. So the first thing is to pray and create an oikos or prayer map, find out who it is that you're going to pray with and, and pray for them because this has got to be a move of God. I mean, you taught me that. This is from the 411. So, so I give them a three-minute video the day after training and they're, they're called to just do that and to do that for a few days. And that's very small. It's bite-sized. Most people do that because it's simple. And then it's not confused with the rest of the training. Uh, a few days later, then it's like if or when, when Jesus speaks to you about who to invite, how are you going to invite them? And I give them the words, give them options for social media, text messaging, phone, so very practical how-to stuff. Uh, once they've invited their friend, they get another email with a little video that says how might you plan it because there's no point saying do you want to join and commit to a group for eight weeks? It doesn't work for the West. You know, it's more like do you want to give this a go, find a time, and then once you give it a go, say do you want to try it next week? But you already know in your calendar you're going to do it every week. So like practically how do you get people across the line with plan? And then platform, how do you choose a platform? And what, what digital platforms are there? And, and there's some tech advice on that. And the last bit of the habit pathway is prepare what resources do you need to use to get ready and, and really make your first group work. And so because that's automated and it's broken down into habits, I think we've increased mm -hmm. our capacity to translate training into action. Uh, and, and so that's that's yeah, part of the training as well that we've been learning. Around. But what I'm finding is... Uh, when you release all these groups everywhere and people start to create community and then they start to see people come to faith or they start to experience a discipling community where there's there's like there's thankfulness which is a precursor for worship there's fellowship koinonia there's reading the scripture there's there's doing something about it there's serving there's prayer like it's starting to look a bit like a church mm. and what do you do when those people aren't going to integrate with your non-contextualized Sunday service. You have to start thinking like a movement leader. And so we meet every six weeks with anyone on the list that the people I've trained and and we I'm, I'm investing in them in, in discipleship thinking and movement thinking and trying to broaden people's uh, perspective of what a church is and how they might multiply disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So I don't know where it will go, but I, I almost feel like there's this community of practitioners who accidentally came I suppose, our way, and there's an opportunity to help them to become movement practitioners, even though they didn't sign up for that in the first place. You'll find more about Hope Groups at togetherchurch.com.au. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.